hey everyone, welcome to church. My name's Will Price, and today I wanna talk to you guys about godly living in a godless culture. Godly living in a godless culture. Before we jump into that, um, I thought that I would give a Price family update. So our, our care and missions pastor, Matt Missiano, uh, does this every single time he preaches, and he's convinced me uh, that I, I should do a, a Price family update. So uh, I'm, I'm still happily married uh, to my wonderful wife, Jenny. Yep, she makes it easy. She makes it easy. Um, I probably don't make it easy for her. I still leave the toilet seat up. I still leave my laundry, you know, all over the, the, the master bedroom floor, okay? Just being honest, uh, all right? But we're, we're still happily married. Uh, my kids are both teenagers, um, so they're living their own lives now, you know? I, I see them in the morning, we say hello, uh, you know, have a good day, love you, and then um, if, if I'm lucky, I'll see them at the end of the night and we'll say good night, you know? But they're kinda doing their own thing, they're doing great, they're thriving, uh, you know, we're <laughs> having conversations about dating and like, I don't know, it's just a, a, a wild time, but I, I'm, I'm so proud of my kids. Um, uh, I started running. Which, which is really exciting for, for, for me. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I needed to do it. Uh, yeah, 41, almost 42 years old, the, uh, the, the metabolism thing is just kind of tanked, you know, and I had to do something, um, you know, getting ready for the CCA 5K. By the way, I ran a marathon. I did, yeah. Come on now. Yeah. It took me 60 days, but I <laughs> finally, finally made it to that marathon level. Um, what else? Oh, I bought a bidet. I installed a bidet. And, and this is a true story, you guys. 50 bucks off of Amazon. You hook that thing right up. And I'm telling you, it is the most refreshing thing in my life right now. <laughs> All right. Enough about that, right? Enough about that. Uh, so glad that you guys are here. So good to be with you, to dig into God's word. Uh, as I said earlier today, I wanna talk to you about godly living in a godless culture. Uh, here's the sad reality. Christianity's influence in American culture is dying, and cultural paganism is on the rise. Let me say it again. Christianity's influence on American culture is dying, and cultural paganism is on the rise. For about 150 years, our country was blessed by strong Christian biblical influence. Our country was founded upon you know, biblical principles, and, and, and so uh, 150 years or, or, or so, you know, we, were, we were blessed to, to be guided by that. But things have changed, haven't they? Things are quite different now. Uh, especially over the last 60 years or so. Uh, in the 1960s, there was the sexual revolution, which gave way to uh, sexual evils of all kinds. Uh, you've got uh, the hookup culture, you've got premarital sex, that's just kind of the norm right now, yeah? Uh, you've got the, the LGBTQ agenda going on. Um, all kinds of sexual, sexual evils that came out of the, the sexual revolution. Um, over time, we've seen uh, the rise of fatherless children. Um, we've seen uh, divorce becoming uh, normal. Uh, we've seen the rise of drug addiction and crime. Uh, 
And the list just goes on and on and on and on of things that are going on in our culture today. I mean, I think about um, the uh, uh, genocide of unborn babies and, and just so many other things uh, going on in our culture, all in the name of intellectual and scientific and political progress, right? This is, this is the country in which we live. Christianity's influence on it is dying and cultural paganism is on the rise and sadly, uh, I think that part of the reason uh, that Christianity's influence has declined so much is because we, as Christians, many of us, not all of us, but we as Christians have become nothing more than an echo of the very culture uh, that we hate the very culture that we're angry against, the very culture that we've become contentious uh, towards. You know, we look around and it's disheartening to see what's going on. And we, we look around and, and, and it's easy to get frustrated, right? And to become angry and, 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 and contentious towards um, the people around us who are really spitting in the face of God and, 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 and living lives and, and, and doing things that, that just completely go against uh, uh, the, the biblical truths that we hold so true, right? And, and so as a, 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 a church, I feel like we've really blown it. You know, this that we're seeing on the screen here, our, the fact that our influence on American culture is dying, it's our fault is what I'm trying to say. It's our fault. It's our fault. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, the many biblical tenets and standards that once were part of the fabric of our country and that provided the undeniable cultural benefits of morality are now gone. Whatever its form or practical benefits may have been, cultural Christianity is dead. And self-expression, moral freedom, materialism, and hedonism uh, are the prevailing gods. And so again, Christianity's influence on American culture's dying and cultural paganism is on the rise. And I don't want you to get me wrong here. Okay, there, there are millions of Americans uh, who consider themselves Christians. In fact, hundreds of thousands of churches and millions of Christians are gathering right now to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what I'm not saying is that Christianity is dead. Okay, I wanna be very clear about that. I am not saying that Christianity is dead. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We believe that with all of our hearts, don't we, church? Yes. Amen. <laughs> but we've lost our influence. We've lost our influence. And our culture is full of paganism. In fact, I wanna welcome you this morning to the United States of pagan America. The land of the free, home of the brave, right? But a place filled with people and governed by people and legislative bodies and courts uh, that have adopted a very anti-Christian agenda. Now, uh, before anybody gets upset, let me just say this. What I'm saying right now has nothing to do with who's in office right now. This isn't about Republicans, this isn't about Democrats, okay? This is about the fact 
that we have a very anti-Christian agenda going on in our country and have had that for many, many, many years. It doesn't matter who's in office. What I'm talking about this morning is the fact that our nation is filled with paganism. It is the very direction uh, that we're headed and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and our influence has, has, uh, is dying and, and, and the paganism is on the rise. And I think we're, we're faced with some serious questions this morning, church. We're faced with some serious questions like what should our response be now? You heard me say it earlier, I'm gonna say it again. I think we've blown it. I think that over the last 60 years or so, we've jumped on our self-righteous high horses and we have blown it. And so what should our response be now? What should our response be now? What does godly living actually look like in a godless culture? What does godly living look like in a godless culture? And, 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 and then how do we become a strong influence without compromising our mission? And, 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 and just so we're clear, what that question suggests is that we compromise our mission by trying to influence the culture, right? Does that make sense? And, and, and again, I think we've done a terrible job at it. So how do, we, how do we actually become a strong influence again without compromising um, our mission? Well, here's where I hope to land with you guys today. And this is your big idea for the message, and here it is. Where I hope to land with you today, where I hope that we can settle today as a church, is that our godless culture needs a godly response, not an echo of itself. Ladies and gentlemen, Today's the day that I pray that we as a church repent of being an echo of the culture and we be the godly response that God has called us to be. This is where I hope we can land today and to get there, we're gonna be going through uh, Titus chapter three, verses one through eight. So if you have a Bible, turn to uh, the book of Titus. Little background information on the book of Titus. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote it, and he wrote it to uh, the young pastor Titus, who Paul called his true son in a common faith. When I was about 22 years old, I met a man by the name of Travis Plumley, a very godly, uh, very Christian uh, in, 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 in all of his uh, uh, behavior, um, I could say so much about this guy, but when I first met him, I was not following the Lord, and I saw him as this radical, fanatical, like Jesus freak, right? Uh, but he, he invested in me, spent time with me, poured, poured his life into me, um, shared the gospel with me, and, and because of his influence in my life, I became a Christian, I became a follower of Christ, and I saw him as a spiritual father. What you need to know is that Paul was like a spiritual father uh, to Titus. And so that's why Paul says in this letter, hey, I'm writing to you, uh, my true child in a common faith. Um, the purpose of the letter, uh, Paul makes very clear in chapter one, verses one through three, he tells Titus that, hey, I'm writing this to you for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Okay, so that's sort of the overarching theme of the book of Titus. More specifically, in chapter one, Paul instructs Titus about appointing faithful and qualified leaders in the church. 
Okay, verse five, chapter one, he says, this is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so uh, what we know is that Paul and Titus uh, went to the island of Crete. They planted churches there. Um, Paul continued on in his journey, left Titus there, and then he tells him, hey, in chapter one, hey, I, wanna, I want you to appoint um, some elders, some leaders in the church. And if I could just pause for a second and say, we are blessed with some anointed and appointed elders in our church. I see one right here, there may be others. If you're an elder in our church, would you stand up? I see a couple back there too. Elders, why, if, if your wives are here, uh, please stand up. I, I think it's appropriate to just say thank you to you guys for all that you do for this local church. We, we could not do it without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. Um, chapter two, uh, Paul instructs Titus uh, about uh, the characteristics of a healthy church and how believers are supposed to interact and behave with one another, which brings us to chapter three, um, which is our text today. And chapter three is primarily about how believers are supposed to act um, in relation to uh, society and, and to culture, specifically our attitude and our behavior towards rulers and authorities, all right? So Paul begins his instructions about godly living in a godless culture by encouraging young Titus to, verse one, remind them. Now this phrase, remind them, literally means go on reminding them. It carries the idea of saying something over and over and over uh, again. And so obviously Paul saw his instruction that he was about to give as something so important that it needs to be said over and over again. And I was thinking the other day uh, how critical it is uh, for us as a church to be reminded about some things over and over and over again. There's a lot of things in God's word um, that quite honestly are difficult to obey. Things that we want to uh, make excuses about. Things that we wanna caveat and sort of qualify. Right, we, 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 we love our caveats in Christianity. Sometimes some things in the word of God are hard uh, to, to understand and obey. And, and this, is, this is one of them, what we're about to dive into today. And so Paul, knowing that, he says, hey, I want you to remind your churches. Go on reminding them. Say this to them over and over and over again to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. If you're taking notes, here's your first point, and that is that we have a biblical calling as citizens of our country, and that is to submit to and obey the rulers and the authorities that are in place. Let me say it again. We have a biblical calling as citizens of our country to submit to and obey rulers and authorities, or government. Now, what I want you to notice here is that there is no caveat uh, to this command in this text, right? It doesn't say, 
submit to and obey rulers and authorities as long as they are Christian. It doesn't say submit to uh, rulers and authorities as long as they are the same political party as you. No, it's actually very simple and very straightforward. And it is that we have a calling on our lives to submit to and obey the, if I might say, God-given rulers and authorities that are in place. Did you catch that? They are God-given rulers and authorities. Let's look at Romans uh, chapter 13, verses one through seven. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. In Rome, the very evil, <laughs> tyrannical, pagan rule of Rome. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Very interesting, verse four. For he is God's servant. When Paul wrote this letter, Nero was in charge. Nero, the very evil Nero. And here in verse four, he says, for he is God's servant. Isn't that interesting? What this means here is that whether a ruler or authority <laughs> follows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he is still God's servant. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, buckle your seatbelts, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. I gotta be honest with you guys. I've struggled over the years um, paying my taxes. It's not that I haven't paid my taxes, I have, but I've struggled with the idea of paying taxes and knowing how those taxes are being used. And, 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 and just being super raw with you, there's that temptation you know, to, to not pay taxes, right? Because I don't want my taxes being used for this or for that. And yet, the clear biblical teaching here is that we need to pay our taxes. You know, I brought up Nero earlier and the evil Roman rule that was in place. I mean, 
goodness, their taxes were used for tremendously evil uses, right? Paul knew that. And, and yet here he says, you, you need to be subject to these governing authorities. You need to pay your taxes. You need to pay revenue where it's due, right? What, 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 what's the point here? The point here is that this is the consistent teaching uh, in the New Testament. This is the consistent apostolic teaching that we have uh, uh, to apply to our lives today. I know it's hard. I, 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 know, I know there's that temptation to want to sort of buck against the system. I know, I know that we, we, we wanna sort of be lawbreakers in this regard. Uh, out, out of, out of uh, you know, this, this, this love for God, this, and, and there's so much tension there, and, 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 and I don't have time to go into it, but the fact of the matter is, is that we have a biblical calling on our lives as citizens of our country, and that is to submit to and obey rulers and authorities. Are you guys with me? Okay, 10% of you. So why don't we turn over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. 13 through 15. And by the way, like I said earlier, the letter to Titus was, writ was written uh, uh, to the churches on, uh, on the island of Crete, okay? Out there in the Mediterranean Sea, southeast of Greece, southwest of Asia Minor, north of Africa. So you got Crete, you got this nation, this island out there with its culture and its people and its rulers and its authorities, right? We just read Paul's letter to Rome, right? A completely different place, different rulers, different authorities, maybe a little bit different culture there. Now, we're gonna look at the apostle Peter's letter to the persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. Persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. Persecuted Christians by the rulers and the authorities that existed there, right? And, th and this is what he says to them. Verse 13, I want you to be subject. Why? For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. I don't know how more clear I can be this morning than to use this text, these texts that I have presented to you today. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a calling on our lives as citizens of our country to submit to and to obey the rulers and the authorities that God has ordained. Now, we like our caveats, so let me just point out one thing, and that is that the only way that we can caveat or qualify here is to come out of these texts and go to the book of Acts, uh, chapter four, verses, uh, verse 19, and chapter five, uh, verses 28 and 29, okay? In the book of Acts, you've got uh, Peter and John preaching the gospel in Jesus' name and the high priest and a council come against them and tell them not to preach in Jesus' name. Their response, 
whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then later on in chapter five, they say this, they say we must obey God rather than man. And so we have a calling on our lives to submit to and obey the rulers and the authorities in our government unless those rulers and authorities are telling us to do something that violates our divine uh, rule and authority, God's word. Does that make sense? So I have some questions for you this morning. Do you respect the authority that God has ordained in our country? Not that you have to agree with the men and women who might be holding office now or a few years ago, but do you respectfully submit to them knowing that it is your duty as a Christian to do so? I want you to think about your local and state and federal authorities. Do you show them the kind of respect that Paul is talking about here? Do you pray about them more than you complain about them? I will submit to you this morning that in the culture that we live, there is a movement of divisiveness and contentiousness and dissonance towards the rulers and the authorities in our country coming from the pagans who live amongst us. God forbid that we are an echo of them. Our godless culture needs a godly response, not an echo of itself. I love what Warren Wearsby said about this. He said, it is important that we respect the office even though we cannot respect the man or woman in the office. Now, let me just say this. Right now, uh, if you're a Republican, you're probably thinking, amen. A few years ago, Democrats would have said, amen. Right, but this isn't about Republican and Democrat, is it? It's not about that. It is important that we respect the office even though we can, cannot respect the man or woman in the office. As much as possible, Wearsby says, we should seek to cooperate with the government and obey the law, but listen to this. We must never allow the law to make us violate our conscience or disobey God's word. Unfortunately, some zealous but ignorant Christians, <laughs> Wearsby's words, not mine, Unfortunately, some zealous and ignorant Christians use these differences as opportunities for conflict and loud sermons about freedom and separation of church and state. Like I said earlier, church, that right there, Christians using differences as opportunities for conflict and loud sermons, that right there is one of the reasons why we have lost our influence in this country. Because that right there is nothing but an echo of the very culture that the Lord has called us to be different from and to also reach. We have a calling on our lives. We have a calling as citizens of this country to submit to and obey the rulers and the authorities that God has ordained. Paul goes on in verse two and he says this, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And so not only are we called to submit and obey to rulers and authorities, 
We have a biblical calling on our lives to show Christian kindness. We have a biblical calling on our lives to show Christian kindness towards the rulers and the authorities that are in place and towards all people. Now, again, does this mean that we can't disagree with them or have our own opinion? No. But what it does mean is that we cannot, as Christians, show hatred and contempt towards them, not even on the issues that frustrate us the most. We have a calling on our lives to show Christian kindness. Now, here's why this is important. The reason why this stuff is important, the reason why us uh, fulfilling this calling is so important, it goes back to the big idea. Our godless culture needs a godly response, not an echo of itself. And so can I just encourage you, church, this morning? Actually, can I exhort you this morning? Leave the angry protesting and the disrespectfulness and the dissidence towards the rulers and authorities of our country to the pagans. Leave it to them. We have a far greater calling and mission than fighting for our rights and our freedoms as citizens of the USA. Our calling is as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Our calling is to pursue godliness and holiness and to spread the gospel. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven passing through this earth. There's a dual citizenship. Right? We're citizens of the country, but our, our, our greater uh, citizenship, our, 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 our primary identity is as citizens of the kingdom uh, of heaven. Don't confuse your heavenly citizenship with your national identity. Let me put it to you this way. Be involved in politics, but don't be a punk. <laughs> this is my favorite point in the whole message. Be involved in politics, but don't be a punk. Okay, what's a punk? By definition, a punk is an aggressive, rude troublemaker, okay? Does that sound like the kind of person that we are to be as Christians? No. Resounding no. And so, hey, make yourself aware of the issues. Get out there and vote. Write your, 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 your senators about your concerns. But please, for the love of God and for the love of the gospel, don't forget that your primary mission is so much bigger than the red, white, and blue. Okay, I say this because unfortunately, so many of us, so many Christians, I should say, are so deeply entrenched in politics and so deeply uh, hurt and, and, and angry about what's going on in our culture that they've lost sight of their calling and their mission and they've become nothing more than an echo of the culture around them. So be involved in politics, but don't be a punk, okay? Let's look at verse three. Actually, I wanna start at verse one and work our way down because I want you to see the flow here. I want you to see the point that Paul is trying to make uh, by, by, by switching gears so abruptly here in verse three. 
Okay, verse one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then he says this, for we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, hey, Christians, you have a calling on your life as citizens of your country to submit to and to obey rulers and authorities. There's no caveat. There's no qualifier here. I know that they're they're, they're pagan, I know that their agenda is very anti-Christian, but you have a calling on your life to submit and to obey, and you have a calling on your life to show Christian kindness, right? And, and, and I know how difficult that is, so let me just remind you how lost you were before you knew Jesus. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is doing here. That's what he's doing here. You and I were once foolish, living the very pagan lifestyle that we hate to see happening in our culture. You and I were once disobedient to God, all rebellious and stuff, right? We were deceived just like them. We were slaves to sin just like them. We were going around hating people and talking trash and being hated. I don't know about you, but before I knew Christ, I was broken and sinful and vain and arrogant, selfish, and the list could just go on and on, right? If, if I were to tell you about my upbringing and the sins of my past, you would be shocked. You look at me now, at one of your, one of your pastors, and you, you probably think, wow, Pastor Will must have been raised in a wonderful Christian home, and he must have a past just filled with like glorious obedience to God. Wrong! <laughs> you would be shocked. I was so, so, so lost. I was, I was just like the people in my life who don't know Jesus now. My neighbors, my friends, my co, not my coworkers, they're all, they're all. <laughs> Your coworkers, all my coworkers, they, they better know Jesus. <laughs> my friends, my, my family members, people in my neighborhood who don't know Jesus, man, I was just like them. I, I, I remember as a young, pastor being so judgmental towards the lost world around me, thinking, man, I can't believe they do that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe, believe he's acting that way. And God woke me up one day. He woke me up one day and just helped me remember that I used to be just like them. They act like sinners because they're lost. You know what I mean? Like, like, why are we so judgmental towards the lost and pagan world around us? What do we expect? Do we expect pagans to live like Christians? No, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> they're lost. 
They're dead in their sins and trespasses. And so what Paul is doing here is he's reminding us that we used to be just like them. But, verse four, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul says, hey, I just wanna remind you, you used to be just like them, but boy, what a difference Jesus makes. What a difference Jesus makes. Church, we have a biblical calling on our lives. As citizens of this country, a high calling, <laughs> a hard calling too, to submit to and obey rulers and authorities. We have a calling on our lives to show Christian kindness and a mission as citizens of heaven to get the gospel out to reach the lost. And I think it's so important, and what Paul is pointing out here, it's so important for us to remember that the only reason we're not like the pagan culture around us is because of the very gospel that we've been commissioned to share. Let me say that again. The only reason we're not like the pagan culture around us is because of the very gospel we have been commissioned to share. Our godless culture needs a godly response, not an echo of itself. And, and, and if we're gonna accomplish that, it's gonna require that we remember how lost we were and how great our salvation is and that God did it all and he wants to keep doing it through us in the lives of other people. But we'll never accomplish that being an echo of the culture. We'll never accomplish that being disrespectful and dissident towards our rulers and authority. We'll never accomplish that by being rude and angry and hateful and contentious to our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family members around us because they're different than us. We will never accomplish it that way. We will never regain our influence in, in, in our culture that way. And so I say, church, let's stop that. Let's repent of that. And let's fulfill the calling that God has put on our lives. As Pastor Mike says, amen or oh me, right? Now, let's switch gears a little bit here. In verse one, I don't know if you noticed, but I skipped over something. But I wanna come back to it. And that is the last part of verse one where it says that we should be ready to do every good work. Verse eight, Paul mentions it again. He says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm insisting on this. As one of your pastors, I'm insisting on this. I'm exhorting, I'm rebuking, I'm calling you out today. And let me just include myself in that calling out today. But the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, have you believed in God this morning? Just say amen that those who believe in God may be careful 
to devote themselves to good works. What good works? Reminding them to be submissive, being obedient, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, and on and on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, not only do we have a biblical calling on our lives to be uh, respectful and obey rulers and authorities, not only do we have a calling on our lives to show Christian kindness to the pagan world around us, but we have a calling on our lives to do good works in our community. We have a calling on our lives to do good works in our community. What Paul is talking about here is being willing and eager uh, to sincerely perform good works, not reluctantly, but sincerely perform good works uh, that will benefit our community. And you wanna know why? Because Paul knows that good works open the door for the gospel. Good works pave the way for the gospel. We have a calling on our lives to do good works, to be involved in our community. And I know this is gonna look different from person to person, depending on your ability and your, uh, your, your, your time. But what Paul is encouraging us to do is to do something, to get involved. Maybe for you that's uh, joining a, a public school committee where as a Christian you can go and influence. Maybe for you it's coaching a, a city uh, 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 ball team, going in there as a Christian and being a, a, a godly influence. Maybe for you that's getting involved in local politics. <laughs> getting in there as a Christian and being a godly influence. For others it could be something else, but I want you to note this morning that we have a biblical calling on our lives to do this. I think of, of, of the Old Testament when uh, Judah was sent into exile. Book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse seven. I want you to listen to what God tells Judah. God tells Judah, hey, I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. How many of you know what city they were sent into? Just yell it out. Babylon. Evil, corrupt, tyrannical, pagan Babylon. God says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Ladies and gentlemen, we are strangers and aliens in this world. Do you understand? We are, are, we're sort of exiles living here on the treasure coast. And what I wanna encourage you with this morning is that as exiles and strangers living on the Treasure Coast, you have a calling on your life to be involved in the community, to affect change, to be a, a godly influence in this community. I love this quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It says this, it says, we must not stand coldly aloof from praiseworthy enterprises of government, but show good public spirit, thus proving that Christianity is a constructive force in society. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we've done a terrible job of this over the last 60 years. I'm I, I, I just being honest with you, and I'm part of the problem. I've been part of the problem. We haven't done a good job of proving that Christianity is a constructive force, instead, We've been on our self-righteous high horses proving that Christianity is a destructive force. The very people that God has called us uh, to reach with the gospel, we have made them feel like they are enemies. And it has completely delegitimized our influence. It has completely messed up uh, our, our gospel influence um, in the community. 
And we should repent of this. We should turn away from this. I came to tell you today that Christian influence on the culture is dying. And I think you all agree with me on that. Christian influence on the culture is dying and cultural paganism is thriving. It's all around us and it's frustrating and it's discouraging on so many levels. And and hey, I get it. The temptation that we all face is to become angry and and to become hateful and contentious uh, towards others who are different than us. But please hear me. And, and, And please, 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 Take this serious this morning. Our godless culture needs a godly response, not an echo of itself. Can we please say goodbye to the days of holding our pagan neighbors and leaders in contempt? Again, when they become the enemy, the effectiveness of the gospel is dead. Paul said in Titus chapter one, I have written these things to you, church, for the sake of the faith and the knowledge of the truth. These callings that we have discovered today in Titus chapter three, they're non-negotiable. And I believe that the gospel demands that we fulfill them. And can I just say, few things reflect your commitment to the gospel than how you respond to those who you disagree with and to those who offend you. Let me say that again. Few things reflect your commitment to the gospel than how you respond to those who disagree with you or who offend you. Please, church, don't be an echo of the culture. Be a gospel-focused, godly response to the culture, okay? Remember this. We have a biblical calling as citizens of our country to obey and to submit to the rulers and the authorities that God has ordained. Remember, we have a calling on our lives to show Christian kindness to the pagan world around us. Remember, we have a biblical calling on our lives to do good works in the community. It's what paves the way for the gospel to go out. Amen? I'll leave you with this question and then uh, Tiago's gonna come out and close us out. Uh, But here's what I want you to to take home with you. Maybe talk about this uh, over lunch with your your family, your spouse, your friends. But I wanna leave you with this question. And I'm gonna make it a little bit more personal than it reads. Am I an echo of the culture? Have I been an echo of the culture? Or have I been an agent of the love and the kindness of God in a world that so desperately needs him. This question is so important for us to answer. And I pray that you are honest with yourself, and I pray that if you've been an echo that you will repent of that, and I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be a godly response, not an echo of the culture. I love you guys, God bless you. Tiago, come on out.